You'll remember that we're looking at this series whereby Jesus is replying to questions that his disciples have been asking. We call the series, I Wish I'd Asked That, because of those questions. And the last question we looked at was, why don't some people get it? And Jesus finishes there by pointing to the cross. Well, now we're in a kind of little interesting part of this uh, section. So each of this um, part of John's gospel is broken up by these questions. But now there's a long excursus, a long kind of bracket, a long um, um, extrapolation, a long further discussion about what it means to look to the cross before in the middle of chapter 16, there's another sort of set of questions begin. And so here we are really figuring out what it means to look to the cross and in particular why it is that when you do that, that's how you bear fruit, okay? So the question this morning is, how do we bear fruit? So let's look at the Bible together. John chapter 15, here it is. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown to the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is God's word. You may go ahead and take a seat. How do we bear good fruits? That is, how do we as followers of Jesus have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all that fruitfulness? How do we as a church become like the kind of church that Paul described and have the impact that Paul described at the beginning of the book of Colossians where he said to the Colossian Christians, just as with you, all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. How do we have that kind of gospel impact locally and all over the world? 
What kind of strategies do we need? What kind of programs do we need? How do we, how do we bear fruit? Or perhaps uh, you're not yet a Christian. And uh, you're wondering, you know, I'm here in church and I, w- I wonder what this, this British guy with a funny accent is going to say to me and what kind of impact it's going to have on my life. And, but, but, you know, this is relevant to you. It may be that you're here because you're thinking, my life is not having the impact that I wish it were. I don't feel that I'm fulfilling what I was made to do or to be. To put it in biblical terms, you don't sense that you're bearing fruit. How do you bear fruit? Now Jesus in this passage has one very simple answer that he repeats over and over again. And we'll see that it's structured underneath that answer in three different movements. But there's one overall answer that he repeats over and over again. Which seems so, um, for those of us who've read this passage before, seems so obvious. And for those of us who are not familiar with it, it still will seem pretty simple. That it's going to be easy for us to dismiss it as irrelevant and not really going to help me. And of course that answer is abide or remain or stay connected to Jesus. Abide in me. But you say that. And of course, you know, we've we got hymns about that. We've got songs about that. It's a sort of traditional thing to say in Christian circles. You know, abide in Jesus. But what do we really mean by that? How how do we do that? And if that really is the case, how is it not so simple it's almost simplistic? But there are times, you know, when the straightforward, simple answer, when you put it in the right place and you really understand it, is actually the solution you need. And here in this case, it is the solution you need to bear fruit. And not just fruit, but much fruit. Let me, let me explain it to you like this. Um, there was a um, company, a manufacturing company, an industry, that its manufacturing product wasn't producing as, as it used to. And uh, they're trying to figure out what was going wrong. The, the, the customers were not liking the product like they had. And they're trying to figure out what they were doing wrong. Was there something in their manufacturing assembly was wrong? They couldn't figure it out. And so they tried various things. And in the end, they asked a, 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 a person to come in who'd, who'd worked for them uh, beforehand. He'd retired and he'd been out of, out of the business for five years or so. They asked him to come back and have a look at things. And he came back. He just spent one day with them. And at the end of the day, he picked up a piece of white chalk and on one of the pieces of equipment, he marked a large X. And he didn't even come back the next day. The managers were kind of scratching their head as to what was going on. So they decided, well, where he put the X, perhaps they should pull off the cover and look in. Sure enough, they discovered that in this massive part of the, of the industrial complex, there was a fairly significant issue that all their diagnostics had not revealed, all their computers hadn't revealed. But actually, this guy was right. It was right there. That was the place. And when they fixed that, everything else worked. X marks the spot. Interesting story, actually, because uh, the, the, the gentleman who did this then sent the company an invoice. It was a big company. He sent an invoice for like a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And of course, the manager said, what are you doing? You only spent one day with us. That's, that's a pretty steep rate, $200,000 or something. And the guy sent back a fuller invoice which said, piece of chalk, $1. Knowing where to put it, you know, $199,999. X marks, if you get it just right, abide in Jesus. But then what does that mean? 
Because you don't want to be so simplistic. It's just like, oh, that's religious jargon. I've heard that before. Yeah, abide in Jesus. But none of us really know what it means. You know, like Einstein said, you've got to, to have the solution, it has to be as simple as possible, but not more so, not simplistic. Abide in Jesus, what does it mean? Well, what it means here in this passage is what the Father does, what the Word does, and what love, what love, what love does. What the Father does, what the Word does, and what love does. I'm really, I'm following Martin Luther, particularly when it comes to the first one, what the Father does. You see this in the first couple of verses there. Jesus is describing that he is the vine, and uh, as the Bible scholars among you will know, he's picking out the imagery of the Old Testament Israel that was called a vine, a vine that was not productive, was not fruitful, didn't do what God wanted, and now Jesus is saying, actually, he is the vine, And the way now that God's people are going to be productive is as they're in him. He's the perfect son of God, the perfect vine that God's Old Testament people, Israel, were meant to be, but were never. He now is the vine. He's going to the cross. He's going to fulfill everything that Israel was meant to be. He's going to be the perfect son. And as we root, as we abide in him, then we'll bear much fruit. I am the vine. Probably picking out imagery from Psalm 80. Jonathan Edwards thought that. I am the vine and we are the branches. But here in these first couple of verses, there's a particular emphasis on the work of the Father. The Father, he says, is the vine dresser. Well, that's not, what's the, what does vine dresser mean? That's not a, a language we tend to use. It just means that he's like the gardener. He's the, he's the farmer, if you like. The, the, in the picture, the father's going around pruning. He's taking care of the vine. He's taking care of the vineyard. The father is the vine dresser. And Martin Luther, as I said, I'm, I'm using some of his ideas here. Martin Luther said that as Jesus is now going to the cross, what he's saying to his disciples is everything that's about to take place, all the suffering that is about to happen to him and to them as well, and Jesus will talk about that as he goes through this section, all that is actually underneath the loving care of the Father to prune them that they might bear much fruit. And so perhaps you're going through a season of suffering. Could be. It's just the Father's pruning of you that you might bear much fruit. It's the Father's work. The Father's work. So significant we get this. Let Let me illustrate it for you like this. It's spring season. And uh, that means different sports are beginning. And one of the sports that we're beginning to look into as a family is soccer for one of our children. And we're looking into that so they can join some kind of soccer club, that kind of thing. And as we look into it, I I did some research on YouTube to see what other soccer players uh, this child's age are doing. I came across a YouTube clip of a six-year-old who claims to be the best soccer six-year-old player in America. And he's pretty amazing, all the things that he can do. And it's just captivating watching this six-year-old kid do these extraordinary things. And then we notice that in the background, in the background, all because the attention's on the sun doing these amazing things, the soccer ball, but in the background is dad. A little bit more of this, a little less of that. Prune here. Emphasize this. Now, I'm not saying that the father's work with us is uh, the branches in the vine. The father's work is like a helicopter parent. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we need to understand. When we say that God is sovereign as a church, which we do, we need to understand that doesn't mean that he's sort of out there in some kind of fatalistic, theistic, deistic, distant sense. No, what we're saying is 
God the Father is actively at work now. He's actively pruning you. He's actively at work in your life. He's arranging the circumstances of your life. He's arranging the thinking and feeling of your life, the, the words on your lips, everything about your life. He's actively pruning now. He's, he's involved in your life now. And you say, what does that mean? Well, it means these three things. I'm just going to use three Ds to help you remember them. D, doctrine. There's a doctrine here. The sovereignty of God is not simply the idea that he's sort of vaguely in charge of everything. If you think that, you'll be scared of all sorts of little things that happen in your life. You'll think, well, yeah, God's in charge, but I'm down here, and that's different. No, the Father is actively tending the vine and the branches right now. So it's a doctrine. You need to understand what that means, that the Father God is right now at work in your life, in our life as a church, he's, he's tending, he's caring for, he's pruning, he's shaping, he's, he's molding us to bear the kind of fruit that uh, he wants us to have. So there's a doctrine, but there's also then a response to that, which would be the second D, dependence. Dependence. If this is what the Father is like, then we should be open to his work. Say to the Father God this morning, Father, mold me, shape me. Use me. Oh, yeah, I'm prune me. I'm committed to you, Father. The great Chicago preacher D.L. Moody had a favorite verse from the Old Testament that expressed this idea. He said that the, the favorite verse was this The eyes of the Lord run throughout the, all the earth, strengthening those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. You, you, do you want me strengthened by the Father God? Depend on him. Commit your life to him. Center on him. Say, Lord, use me. Shape me. Make, mold me. Make me what you want me to be. I'm yours. So there's a doctrine, understanding. There's a dependence. All under this, what the Father does. But then there's also this discipline. Of course, pruning can have a discipline idea. And maybe you're saying to yourself, look, my life is not what I want it to be. There are things in my life that are hard. Indeed, there's some suffering going on. Well, I would like you to actually ask God to show you if there's a sin in your life, something that's going on in your life that he wants to prune away. God can use the circumstances of your life, the difficulties of your life, to point out some issue that's going in your life that he wants you to repent of, to change, to put to one side so that you might bear fruit could be pornography, could be um, grumbling, oh, I don't like the way they did this or what that happened, and could just be not being committed to the, to the body of Christ. You know, if you want to be in the vine, you need to be in the, vine, in the vineyard. You, you've got to be in, in, in the vine. You've got to actually show up to church in a regular way. You've got to, you've got to be in the vine. Could be any number of different things, but there is the, the, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but afterwards it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who are trained by it. Would you say to God, Yeah, train me by this so that I might bear more fruit? It's all what the Father does for His ambition for us that we might bear fruit. What the Father does is we abide in Jesus. Second, what the Word does. What the Word does. And this, in my understanding of how this passage is structured um, and 
I believe my understanding is correct. Uh, it runs from verse 3 to verse 8. What the Word does, and what you'll see there, is that at the beginning of that section, it talks about how the Word cleans us, Jesus' Word has cleansed us, and at the end of that section, Jesus comes back to the Word, and He says, this Word you want to, uh, want to abide in you or remain in you so that you might be the disciples, might be shown to be the disciples of me, and the world will know that you are my disciples, disciples meaning learners those who are committed to learning from, in this context, Jesus' word. So the word shapes this whole section here, what the word does, what the word does. And having got that in our minds, then we can see the amazing impact of this word. So the picture is, here's the vine, we are the branches, and the word is like the sap that runs on the branches of the, of the vine to cause us to bear, to bear fruits, it's like the xylem with all the energy and nutrients running along the branches so that we might bear fruit. And we've got that picture in our mind so we abide in Jesus and his word abides in us. Just amazing things happen. And what Jesus says here is actually, without that, you will not bear any fruit. There'll be no fruit whatsoever if you don't abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And of course, when we think of the image here, it becomes obvious. You, you, you know, Think of an apple tree. You cut off the branch from an apple tree, it's not going to bear any fruit. But similarly, for our relationship with Jesus, if we're not connected to him through his word, in fellowship with his people, of course we're not going to bear fruit. Because it is the word, the sap, the energy, the work of the spirit through the word in our lives as we're connected to the vine, that's what produces the fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But then we see also his, his ambition for us, which is that we would bear much fruit. Much fruit. See, we can sometimes think that the idea that we want to bear much fruit is somehow wrong. We, we, but, but don't be like that. Here is Jesus saying that, that what, he, what he wants for us is that we will bear much fruit, abundant fruit. That don't be like the person who takes their talent and buries it in the ground. No, what you want to say to Jesus is, Lord, here's my life. Use it massively for your glory. I want to bear much fruit. In all the different ways that the work of the Spirit can do in your life. As people come to know Jesus, as, you, as your character is a witness to Jesus, as you're, as, you're, as you're giving generously to Jesus. All this, I bear much fruit. Not just a little bit, much, abundant. I think it was um, Stephen Covey who said that we have two different mentalities often. There's a scarcity mentality and then there's an abundancy mentality. Here's an abundancy mentality. Yeah, I want all of my people, all of them, Jesus is saying, to bear much fruit. There's, there's room for all that, of all the different ways it could be. Much fruit, all through the Word. And as we remain in the Word, remain in Jesus, and the Word remains in us, then as we ask Jesus in prayer for things, whatever we ask, that we will have. Because we'll know Jesus' will. We'll know God's will. We'll, we'll want what God wants. And therefore what we ask for is what God wants. And therefore he'll give it to us. It impacts all the different areas of our life. And there is one final one here under the section of word. Which we need also to make sure we have clear in our minds. Which is a warning. So we've got to... There's, Without, without Jesus and without the word, there's, there's, there's no fruit in him. There's much fruit. But then, what if we don't bear any fruit? What if there is no fruit? 
What Jesus says here is the branch that is connected to him or apparently connected to him but bears no fruit will in the end be completely cut off, thrown into the fire and burned. That's an important message for those of us who are churchgoers. It is, it is possible, really this isn't about the person who's never been to church and just checking out Jesus for the first time. You don't look like you're connected to the vine. What this is about is, is people who look like they're connected to the vine, but actually are not bearing any fruit. You see, it's quite possible to grow up in the church, uh, even to be baptized, to take communion, to sing all the right songs, to like churchy stuff, but inside, and therefore outside, there to be no fruit inside, to be really not connected to Jesus in any real way, not really connected to his word, and therefore for there to be no fruit. And if that's you, if that's you, let me urge you this morning to give your life to Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to receive his word, that you might be those, one of those who does bear good fruit and indeed much fruit. As a church, we have a way of summarizing this commitment to God's word and our core values, which are word, worship, outreach, relationship, discipleship. All that is pushing forward God's word, receiving God's word, for it is by the word that we produce much fruit. And you say, that's too simplistic for me. It's too obvious. I've heard that before. It's, it's, you know, you're just saying, I've got to read the Bible. What I'm saying is the word, you have to accept the word. The word has to go into your mind and your heart and nourish you and change you. You say, well, that's still too simplistic for me. I've got this new idea. I've heard of this new program. You know, I've been around as a Christian leader for, for long enough that these new ideas, these new programs kind of blow through the Christian community and everyone gets excited for a while and then they're gone. It reminds me of when I was in my 20s. We heard there was going to be an amazing shooting stars display that night. And so a group of us stayed up very late into the early hours of the morning. We found a place where there were very little um, street lights. And we just lay down on the grass and we looked up at the night sky at the right time. And we just watched this amazing display of shooting star after shooting star going across the night sky. It was amazing. And it took about an hour and then it was done. And then afterwards, all the fixed stars were still there. And of course, they're still there today. And if you want fruit that lasts, fruit that abides, then abide in the Word, Jesus is saying. It is the Word of God, the preached Word of God, the Bible study Word of God, the devotional life of God, Word of God. It is the Word of God that gives this fruit and this much fruit. So how do we abide in Jesus? What does that really mean? Where do we put the, the cross on the machine? Say, yeah, that's it. The X on the machine. Say, that's it. That's how we abide. Where, where's the chalk mark that says, yeah, that's it. Is it that I'm not accepting what the Father does? Is it that I'm not really abiding in what the Word does? Or is it, third, what love does? And this uh, runs from verse 9 through to verse uh, 17 in the passage this morning. And it's all emphasizing there Jesus' love and the love of the Father that Jesus has received and therefore that he loves us with and therefore that he's commanding that we have. And this is a key part of us bearing fruit, that we have this love in us that then we love each other with. And it's a key part that we would therefore bear fruit and be the kind of abundantly fruitful disciples that Jesus Jesus wants 
us to be. Now, some surprising parts to this passage. One of the surprising parts is where Jesus says, I desire no, lo- no longer to call you servants. My desire, I now call you friends. What does Jesus mean by that? Why does he say, I now call you friends? Is he saying that um, now I'm just some kind of trivial, sentimental, superficial relationship with you? Is that, you know, it's like friends, like, like buddies, like, like not really, not, no awe or majesty. Is that what he's saying? What is he saying by this? A couple of things. First of all, that Greek word, love, has underneath it, at its root, one of the Greek words for love. Again, in this section here, Jesus is talking about what love does. And what he's saying is, greater love has no man for this than he lays down his life for his friends. He's displaying what that love is, that we would have that love too. And that word friends can also be translated beloved, dear ones, near and dearest, that kind of thing. What he's saying is, I love you. We now have an intimate relationship. You're connected to me. I love you. We now have this intimate connection. Tim Keller says that intimacy is when you know and are known without fear of rejection. Oh, Jesus, no, no, great love has no man, no man this, and he lays down his life for his friends. He's laid down his life for those that he loves, and now we're connected. I've said all the things that you might know, that you might know these things, and you might know me. We have this intimate relationship where we're know, knowing, connected, and there's no fear of rejection. That's the kind of friendship, the kind of love that we have. And therefore, Jesus says, I want you to have that love for each other because you're in the vine. You're in the vineyard together. You're connected to the vine. I want you to love each other. And as you do that, therefore, you're going to bear much fruit. It's one of the key ways for making sure that actually you do bear fruit. He says, I'm saying this to you so that you might, my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. This is, of course, part of the fruit of the work of Jesus' Spirit in our lives, that we would have joy and joy to the full. You might have this fullness of joy. Now, let me ask you this. Is it possible that if you don't have much of that joy, that you don't sense the work of Jesus giving you that joy in your relationship with him and your relationship to church and in the way you worship, if you don't have that joy, could it be that you have, as it were, fallen out of love with someone else here in the church? Could that be? Love is so important. Welcome is so important. Just a little expression of love. We're glad you're here. We love you. It's a command of Jesus that you would love one another. Have you fallen out of love with someone in the church? Now, you don't have to be all weird about it, you know? But, But would you afterwards just go up to that person, whoever it is, and just say, I don't know what you say in America. Maybe it's, I love you, man, or something like that. Say that to the British person, and they'll be really freaked out, I tell you. But just, we're in this together. Just, just express love to that person in some simple way. It can make such a huge difference when we have that culture here as a church. There's one pastor who invited in a visiting pastor. And uh, the visiting pastor 
he said to him before he got up to preach, he pointed out a family in the church. He said that family was one by a smile. And the visiting preacher said, I have no idea what you're talking about. So don't worry, I'll tell you afterwards over lunch. And so he did. They said, so this was the story. So the pastor, walking to work each morning, was walking past the house. And one morning, a little boy poked out of the, behind the curtains and looked at the pastor. The pastor saw his eyes, stopped, and the pastor smiled at the little boy. Of course, the little boy shut the curtains and ran away. But at the same time, the next day, he walked past. The little boy poked his head out. The pastor stopped, smiled. The little boy gave a little shy smile. Went on each day like this. After a week, the little boy was waiting for him. And it's like, you know. Soon enough, uh, they, as, the, as the weather warmed up, the, uh, the father and the, the boy came out. And the father said hi to the pastor and said, what do you do? And the pastor said, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, okay. And they talked a little about it. They smiled to each other. A few, a, few weeks, a few weeks later, the father said, you know, I might check out that church one day. He said, you're welcome to come along. The family was won by a smile. You know, as we get older, sometimes people can think when they look at us that we're really grumpy when we get older, but actually it's not grumpiness, it's just gravity. <laughs> you know? And... It is so important. You come into the church building, and how, how do you interpret the spiritual tenor and tone of people, what they look like? If you come and everyone's like this, what do you think? So, if you're of that older generation, before you come to church next week, check Bible, check brush teeth, check smile. Younger generation, don't think that the older generation doesn't talk to you if you're a student because they think they're better than you or something else. Actually, they're scared. They're scared to death of you. They have no idea what to say. They think they've got to say something about Instagram or Pinterest or whatever it is. You don't care about that. Why don't you take the initiative? Look, it says here, I have chosen you. You didn't chose me. In other words, God took the initiative. And part of love is taking that initiative. Take initiative this morning. Go up to someone who's the old generation and say, thank you for your faithfulness. Tell me something about what it means to you to follow Jesus. Something like that. That we will love each other. It doesn't have to be weird. You know, it just could be friendship. I, when we are um, missionaries, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll conclude in just like two minutes. Don't worry, children's workers downstairs. When we are missionaries... We figured out that the uh, culture we were working with was, um, uh, it was a culture that liked to kiss people, okay? So you greeted someone, you kissed them, like this. And so we decided we were going to be culturally relevant, and we would kiss people when they came to the Bible study at our house. And so we did that, and we would kiss everyone and thought, yeah, we're really getting into this. We're doing some good kissing around here. We're doing well. Uh, What we didn't realize was, after about six months, one of our Georgian friends told us that actually in that culture you only kiss people when you greet them for the first time and when you really know them very well but we were just kissing everyone (laughs) apparently we become known as the house where they kiss you (laughs) so so you don't have to be weird about it you know It, it doesn't have to be like this this sort of you know sort of slightly creepy weird christian side hug it's like you know i'm trying to just 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 say hi shake their hand so I'm glad you're here. 
It's amazing what love, even the initial beginning expression of love, what that can do. Well, we've got to stop. Abide in Jesus seems simplistic. It's not simplistic. How do we do it? What the Father does. Will you receive what the Father is doing in your life? What the Word does? Will you bind yourself to Jesus through what the Word does? Don't listen to all those voices out there that say, oh, the Bible's not, not going to help you. The, the Bible is, is no, just, just try it. Taste and see the Lord is good. It's what the Word does. And then what love does. What love does. And the more we're like that as church and as, in, as individuals, the more we'll bear fruit and much fruit. Let's pray together. Well, that is our prayer. You say here that as we, as we abide in you, then whatever we pray, that you'll give us. And uh, Lord, here it says that uh, your desire is that we will bear fruit and much fruit. So we then, as a church, boldly pray that every single person here would bear not only fruit in their life, but much fruit, and that we as a church would not only bear fruit, but much fruit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.